If you're wondering what that is, that's a conference teaser. Our conference is coming up right around the corner, less than two months away, March 17th through the 19th. The theme is Run With It, and we're going to run with it. I'm telling you, there's going to be some stuff happening at this conference that's going to shock you and blow your mind, and we're, we're getting ready to do some great things. We believe God's empowered us to do, and we're going to do it together. Can somebody shout amen? So make plans to give Jesus the weekend, Friday, March 17th through Sunday, March 19th. It's going to be a great, great time. Um, I just wanted to give you a few announcements. Uh, also, this week, somebody say this week. This week we have First Wednesday. We got a surprise for everyone because I think you're going to be kind of excited about this. We, a, a while back, actually years ago, Sarah... Yakut was her name, and was a part of our worship team, big part of our church for years, many years. Well, she got married and moved, moved away and married a guy by the name of Pajel. They've had two kids, and uh, they're, they're working in the ministry and, and serving God full-time, and uh, we just thought it'd be awesome to bring them back and just worship with them. They've got a, Pajel is, is his name. He's going to bring a message. It's going to be a great time this Wednesday night, and so we're going to be right here in the sanctuary, so invite someone with you. First Wednesday is always special here at Elevate. We want you to come. We want you to bring someone with you. We'll have a great time midweek, get you over the hump, and uh, we, we'll have a great week. Also, if you've brought an offering, a tithe to give to the Lord, uh, we want to thank you for doing that. If you'd like, there's many ways that you can give it. There's envelopes behind the chairs. You can fill out that envelope if you're giving with cash or check. And then on your way out, you can drop it in the giving boxes right there at the exit. Or you can give safely and securely online. You can scan this code or, or you can go right via our app and, and give safely there. Um, and we just want to thank you for your giving. It's, it's what you do, your giving as us working together that allows us to accomplish what God has for us. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to get right into the Word. We're, we're, believe it or not, we're done with the first series of the year 2023. We're already almost done with January. Today on the 29th, we're ending, ending our opening series, End Goal. And uh, I'm excited to bring you this message. I really believe God wants to speak to, to us this morning. I believe God wants to help us this morning. How many, how many came you want a little help today? I believe God wants to help you today. God's going to touch you today. If you have your Bibles, open them up, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, for those of you who have really good intentions at the beginning of the year to join our Bible reading plan, and every year you say, this year, every day, I'm going to be in God's Word. Well, that means, that means, and then probably like by February, March, you start slacking a little bit, and that happens kind of, that's kind of your MO year over year. Well, that means you really know Genesis well and you know Matthew very well, okay? Because that's what we start reading at the beginning of the year. And so in Matthew chapter four this year, as I was reading it, God began to show me a few things. And, and if you know anything about Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament. And it's where we start to read the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and as you read Matthew, you're gonna read about his miraculous birth. You're gonna read about his life. Or you're gonna you read about his death and his resurrection. But what we, what we find out is... There's not much information about the kind of middle years or the growing years of Jesus Christ. We know the miracle around his birth, and then we kind of find out that his parents accidentally left him in the temple when he was 12 years old. Anybody ever leave their kids at church on accident before, or maybe your parents left you at church once or twice? And, 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 but, but in Matthew chapter 3, what we see is the story begins to pick up a little bit. And in Matthew chapter 3, what's awesome is Jesus gets baptized, I thought this text would be great for us today because we just witnessed a baptism. And so in Matthew 3, we, we see Jesus is baptized at the age of 30. I think most of us would be familiar with the story where the heavens open up. God speaks from heaven audibly for everyone that's there and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then we know the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lands on Jesus. I mean, what an amazing thing to be a part of and to witness. But from that moment on, what we see happen next is Jesus begins three and a half years of his public ministry, which leads to the Roman Empire executing Jesus via, via crucifixion. And then three days later, we know he rose from the dead, victorious over death, over sin, over the grave. Aren't you grateful for that? And then we know he spent some days with his disciples, giving them some last instructions, and he ascended into heaven. Now, now what, we need, what I wanted to really focus on today is Matthew 4. 
Because we see this awesome thing happen in Matthew 3, this great, just great explosion, this demonstration of, of Jesus being baptized. But what I want you to notice is the first thing that Jesus does after he's baptized is not preach at a conference. He doesn't have this miraculous baptism moment and then all of a sudden start healing people. That's not what happens. He doesn't get baptized and God speak from heaven and then write a bestseller or collab with Chris Tomlin on a worship album. That's not what happens. Immediately after Jesus is baptized, what we read next is the temptation of the Christ. So after this great moment, we see Jesus getting attacked in the wilderness. It's, just, it's this amazing contrast. He goes from the cool waters of, of the Jordan into the barren wilderness. He, he goes from a huge crowd, awed by what just transpired, into solitude and to silence. He goes from the spirit resting on him like a dove to the spirit driving him into the wilderness. He goes from the father saying, this is my beloved son. Now all, all he hears is the hiss of Satan. He goes from the waters of baptism to the fire of temptation. He goes from heaven being opened to experiencing all out hell, intense temptation, the onslaught of the enemy. He's getting it physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's what happens which tells us that anytime you make a decision to obey Christ, anytime you make a decision to go after God and to live a life that's pleasing to him, you better get ready. I'm talking to everybody that got baptized today. You better get ready because Satan's not happy with your decision. And he's not gonna sit idly by and allow you just to serve God all out without some sort of a fight. There's gonna be a battle. There's, it's going to be emotional, there'll be a physical battle, there'll be an emotional battle. There's definitely going to be a spiritual battle that you are going to have to fight. Is anybody ready to fight today? I know, I know it can be easy to, to, to look at Jesus and read about his life and think that Jesus is kind of unrelatable, that he, he doesn't understand what you're going through because he's never walked in your shoes. He's never had the same experiences that you've had. But I want to tell you that'd be a wrong perspective of the life of Jesus. Hebrews 4 tells us that we don't have a high priest who does not sympathize with our weaknesses, but was tempted like us yet didn't sin. And so what we're reading about today in Matthew 4 is those temptations. And, and, and when we're reading about Christ, you need to understand what we're reading is not just some historical story. Anytime we read the Bible, we open it up, we're not just reading about a moment that transpired, but what, what we're reading is a moment that shows us the character and the nature of Christ. And as we read about Christ, it shows us how we should live in the world today. Are you with me? Jesus is our end goal. He's what we're going for. He's what we're shooting after. He's our model. And so when we look at his life, we see the way that he deals with people. We see the way that Jesus deals with sickness. We see the way that Jesus deals with the enemy. We see how Jesus relates with his father. We, we understand if Jesus, he's the center of the story, man. He, he's, he's everything. He's our theology. He's our foundation. The Bible says that he's the head of the church. Everything is about Jesus. But here's what you gotta grab a hold of. Whenever you're reading about the life of Christ, you have to ask yourself, what does this reveal about him? Because what it reveals about him, it reveals about you. Because your identity is in Christ. Are you with me today? You gotta track with this. Your identity is now in Christ. So when you read about Christ, you're reading about yourself. You're reading about how you should conduct yourself. So in Matthew chapter four, where we'll be today, we read in verse one that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. All right, so we're beginning this story, and before I get too deep into this message, I'm just gonna tell you what we're doing today. Are you guys ready? What we're gonna do is we're gonna do three points and four side notes. Three points. I decided not to make this a seven-point sermon today. Instead, three points, four side notes. Are you, are you with me today? Is that okay? Three points, not seven points, three points, four side notes. Side note number one. All right, you guys ready for this? Sometimes the most spiritual things in life don't feel very spiritual. Sometimes they just, this little detail in the scripture we just read, it informs us so much about Jesus. Because sometimes the only thing that you feel after a fast is hungry. 
right? Are you with me today? Sometimes the only thing you feel after tithing is poor. Right? Sometimes the only thing you feel after going to church is tired. Right? Sometimes. But listen, look, but listen to this. Every time you engage in a spiritual discipline, it's preparing you for the battle ahead. And so here's Jesus. He's fasting, all right? But the Bible doesn't say he comes out of that fast with a halo around its head. It doesn't say that he comes out of the fast floating in, in midair, all right? It doesn't say that he was glowing in some form. It says that Jesus was, was hungry, isn't that crazy? He was hungry. Some of the most spiritual things that happen in your life, that happen in my life, they don't feel very spiritual. It doesn't feel like a spiritual thing. So when you face that disappointment in life, or you receive the cancer diagnosis, or you experience an unexpected death in your family, or maybe you, you lose a job, it doesn't feel that spiritual when you're going through that stuff. It doesn't feel like God's really there. It's hard to find God in those circumstances. Are, are you with me today? But you get down the road a few years and look back and you realize, man, God was doing something in that really weird moment in my life. God was there the whole time. God used the wilderness. He used the desert. The times that felt the most non-spiritual, the time that it really felt like God wasn't there, he's actually doing his best work in those seasons. Which brings me to side note number two. Sometimes God does his best work in the worst circumstances. All right? Notice, notice the scripture. It doesn't say that the devil took Jesus into the wilderness. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that the demons wanted to give Jesus a wilderness experience. That's not what it says. It says it was the spirit of God that drove Jesus into the wilderness. The spirit of God. That doesn't seem right. Does anybody read that and it bug you a little bit? The Spirit of God sent Jesus into a test, into a very difficult time. And I think that reveals to us that maybe the one that knows you the best, maybe the one that wrote your blueprint for your life, the one that knows you better than you know you, maybe he knows that there are things that you can learn in the wilderness that you'll never be able to learn in the promise. Did you hear that? And you see this all throughout scripture. You think about the children of Israel, that God delivers them from the hand of Pharaoh, delivers them from Egypt, and then what happens next? They find themselves wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. It seems like such a waste. We look at these people and think, man, they're so foolish, they're so dumb, they should have just went to the promised land. But, but actually, God was showing them something as they were wandering around the wilderness. He was showing, him his, him their, he was showing them his faithfulness. He led them, the Bible says, by a cloud during the day. He led them by a pillar of fire by night. We know that he sustained them with, with manna from heaven. The wilderness experience was teaching them something about the faithfulness of God that they could take into their promise. I think a lot of times what we want to do is we just want to, want to jump over the wilderness, right? We want to step into the promise and then enjoy the land, right? That's what we want. But Jesus knows that if you don't develop if you don't develop on your way to the promise, when you get the promise, you won't be able to keep it. And so there's things he's trying to teach us. And so the wilderness, those difficult times, they serve in our lives as our development. They help us grow in, as children of God. It's where you learn to trust God even in difficult seasons, even in difficult situations. It'd be impossible to bring a sacrifice of praise if you never spent any time in the wilderness. Do you know what I'm talking about? God's teaching Things in the wilderness that we can't learn later. It's not wasted time. God uses the wilderness, the wilderness time. And here's, here's this, this, the text we read today, that the Spirit of God leads Jesus. Even Jesus had to, ex had to experience wilderness. If he couldn't escape it, neither can we. But I want, to see, I, want to show you, I want to show you what happens next. What's so crazy, and we read about it in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that after the testing... Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And so the same Spirit that leads Jesus into the difficulty, the same Spirit that leads Jesus into the wilderness is the same Spirit that empowers Jesus for what's gonna happen next. And it's the same for you. And that brings us to side note number three. Are you with me? Being empowered by the Spirit is not an option for believers today. I'm gonna take a drink and let you think about that. 
The bare minimum qualifier for you as a believer, the bare minimum is we need the Spirit of God. The indwelling of the Spirit of God. If you're going to make it in the world today, you've got to have the Spirit of God residing on the inside of you. What do we need at this hour? We need Christians who are unafraid. We need people that are unashamed, that are Spirit-filled and empowered to make a dent on the world around them. Somebody shout amen. I want you to know you were created to be, to, to be indwelt with His Spirit. God created you to be led by the Spirit. It's who you've always been. That's why when you're here in this house, and that's why when we begin to worship the Lord and, and you're seeing people get baptized, all of a sudden the Bible is opened up and you feel, you feel yourself leaning in to hear what God is saying. You feel something on the inside burning. Maybe, maybe you feel an excitement in your spirit and, and maybe you, you hear something and think, man, I've never heard that before. I, I haven't seen that before. You're looking up, up here at me and thinking, man, that guy's pretty passionate up there. He seems a little foolish, but inside you know, man, that's, that's who I am. That's who God created me to be. What I want you to notice is that in order for Jesus to walk in the power of the Spirit, he first had to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What you're feeling on the inside is something that you know should be there. You know it's what God has for you. And the wilderness, the difficulty, the, the, the troubles of your life they're developing you so that you can walk in the power of the Spirit. And so maybe you're saying things like, man, I just want to grow. I just, I just want to be who God's created me to be. I just, I just want to develop. And then what you find yourself is in a really difficult spot. And you're thinking, God, that's not what I meant. That's not what I had in mind. It's the wilderness of discipline that God drops you into. It's the wilderness where you feel like you're losing your friends. It's the wilderness where you feel like some of those old things in your life don't seem to satisfy anymore. It's that wilderness thinking, man, am I all alone? Is, am I all by myself? God looks at those seasons and says, I've got you right where I want you. I've got you right where you need to be. This is the place that I can deal with your heart. And I think, I think sometimes we wonder why we've gone through certain things. Why, why do we have to go through I'm, I'm here today to tell you there's a reason. There's a reason that you went through that addicted portion in your life. There's a reason that you went into rehab. There's a reason that relationship didn't work. There's a reason that you went through that sickness, received that diagnosis, experienced that abuse. There's a reason you had the mental breakdown. Are you with me today? There's a reason that you got hurt in that church. There's a reason why you went through some of those things. It was through those things that God was weaving even the broken parts of your story into the beautiful fabric that he's creating today. Did you hear that? God uses the moments of wilderness to craft the promise. And that's what he's doing in your life. He doesn't just lead us by green pastures and still waters. He's also the one that leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the thing. God's people always flourish in difficult situations. So you throw Daniel into a lion's den, and the lions are on a Daniel fast, all right? You throw, you throw, you throw Paul into a prison in Philippi, okay, we're going to worship the Lord, and God's going to get us out of here. You throw, you throw three Hebrew boys into Nebuchadnezzar's fire, and all of a sudden you look in there, there's four standing in the fire. The church always flourishes in difficult situations. Matthew 4, verse 3, look at it. Look what it says next. So the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now what I want you to see here today is where the temptation starts. Because where the devil starts with Jesus is exactly where he starts with you. What you see in Jesus is what you can expect for yourself. And the first thing that Satan goes after with Jesus, the first thing that he'll go after with you is your identity. If he can get you to question who you are, if he can get you to question your identity, what he can do is derail the promise and derail the purpose that God has for your life. And what we see about Jesus is Jesus knew who he was. Somebody say amen today. One of the most important tools that you can have in your toolbox is a settled identity. It's knowing who you are. And I'm here today to tell you, you are a child of God. I'm here today to tell you that you are healed, you are whole, you are set free, you are delivered, you are forgiven. Amen. And so sometimes I think what Satan does is he doesn't even really bother with trying to get us to fall into a new area of sin. 
That's really not what he's, what is he attempting to do. What he, what he does instead is just remind us of all the things we used to do. He just kind of reminds us of who we once were because the devil knows that the danger of sin isn't necessarily the act of sin. He knows that the danger of sin comes from the shame that attaches to your identity after you do it. Did you grab that today? That's why the gospel is not shame on you. The gospel is actually shame off of you. Did you hear that? You can't shame people or guilt people into a relationship with God. You can't shame people into living for Jesus. Shame isn't a tool that God uses. Guilt isn't a tool that, that God uses. It's actually a tool of the enemy. And so in this moment, the enemy is trying to get Jesus to question who he is. Trying to get Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God. Isn't that what happens to us? We fall short and we begin to question our identity, and maybe we start to think, think things like, well, maybe I am this way. Maybe this who, is who I've always been. Maybe I'll always struggle in this area. Maybe I'll never get better. Maybe I'll never be healed. Maybe I'll always be an addict. Maybe I'll always be broke. Maybe I'll always be sick. Maybe I'll always be a problem. All of a sudden, the devil starts to, to, to throw these questions at us, and we begin to question what's already been settled in eternity. Because the law tells us that you are what you've done. But the gospel says you are what Christ has done. Are you hearing me? Culture says I was born this way. The gospel says you've been born again. All right? The world says this is the way you'll always be. The gospel says old things have passed away. All things have become new. Who I was before pales in comparison to who I am right now. I'm a child of God. I'm not a cleaned up version of who I was pre-Jesus. That's not who I am today. I've been made completely new. I've been, I passed from shame to grace, from death to life. Uh, come on, that's what God's done in my life. I have a brand new identity in Christ. Look what Jesus says. Look how he responds. He says, it is written, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but, but instead by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And essentially what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I won't survive if all I do is feed on the natural. But there's something supernatural that happens in my life that when regardless of my circumstances and regardless of what's going around me, what I hear and what I speak, and when I confess God's word over my circumstance, something happens to my natural situation. Let me give you a word from the Lord. You're never gonna survive as a Christian. You're never gonna make it in the kingdom of God if all you do is feed on what the world is serving. You're not gonna survive if all you do is allow the spirit of this age. Let me tell you, the spirit of this age is, is a demonic force and it's lying to people. If all you do is feed what th that spirit is serving, it's gonna rewire how you think. It's gonna change the way you think because this world is dishing out fear. This world is ditch dishing out anxiety. It's serving up opinions. It's serving up arguments. It's causing people to compromise. You're not gonna survive as a follower of Christ if you're trying to live on the natural. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't live by bread alone. There's something else that's feeding my spirit. We live on the word of God. God's word is our blueprint. We build our lives on his truth. Isaiah 41 says that he is my strength and my hope. John 16 says in him I have overcome the world. Psalm 37 says that he is my direction and my strategy. 2 Corinthians 12 says his grace is sufficient for me. Philippians 4 says he's the one that guards my heart. 1 Peter 2 says he's my healer. Exodus 14 says he fights on my behalf. And Romans 8 says he's working it out for my good. The word of God is what I live on. I don't live on what the world feeds. I live on the word of God and faith requires you to take the word of God and allow it to become manifest in your life and it's not just something that you're reading it becomes who you are did you hear that today there are things in God's word that you will have to declare over your life every single day every single day but isn't that what it means to be a person of faith we don't base what we do on how we feel. Anybody ever wake up and say, I don't feel saved? Anybody ever feel like that? 
Anybody ever wake up and go, I don't feel married? Anybody ever feel that way? I, 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 I don't feel married. I, I, we say all the time, I don't feel happy. I, I, I don't, I, like, I, I don't, I don't feel, feelings are like that. Feelings come and go. Fe feelings are fickle. You can feel like a champion on Monday and a loser by Tuesday. That's how feelings are. But if scripture is your foundation, if God's word is your end goal, regardless of how you feel and regardless of the circumstances that surround your life, I know what God says. I want you to think about it like this. Every person has a form. We were all created. We were kind of born into a form. And the form that you were born into is, is made up of your beliefs. It's made up of your values, the principles, maybe that were taught to you by your family or the background of your family. Your form consists of your, uh, um, of, of your ethnicity, maybe your political um, beliefs, all of those things. It's a form. And this form that you were kind of born into, it dictates how you view yourself and it dictates how you view the world. It's a form, but eventually, and thankfully, our form bumped up against God's form. And the truth is, is not everything in your form is, is necessarily bad, but when my form bumps up against God's form, there's a decision that has to be made. I have a choice that I need to make. I'm either gonna be conformed to the world or I'm gonna be transformed to the image of God. Transformed means to move from an old form to a new form. There are things that are in my system, that are in my form, that are how I've been raised, that, don't, that, that won't survive in his kingdom. There's things about you that you were born with, traits that you have that don't work in the kingdom of God. And so when my form comes into conflict with God's form, something has to give. And that's why Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind. You are not who you were. You are not what you've done. You've been transferred from shame to grace. You are not the form you were born with. You are not, listen, you're more than your ethnicity. You're more than your political views. You're more than your economic status. You've been transformed. Old things are gone. God has come. Everything's been made new. And so when Satan comes at you and he attacks your identity and he's showing you your old pattern, and he's showing you the form of what you used to be. When he questions who you are, you say, I'm not falling victim to that. That, that is a lie, that's not who I am. I, I actually allow the word of God, not the form, the pattern I came from, I allow the word of God to, to define my identity. Jesus knew the word of God. He said, it is written. And because he knew what God's word says, he knew who he was. Then the devil took him up to a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. We're looking at temptation number two. So the first thing Satan does is attack our identity. The second thing he does, we find right here, he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. It's written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I want you to notice something here real quick. Even the devil can quote scripture. I think the devil knows the Bible pretty good. He probably knows it front and back. And what he does is he takes his knowledge of the word and then twists it to confuse us and defeat us. So Satan's trying to do. He tries to take scripture out of context and lead us to bizarre conclusions. You know what else will lead you to bizarre conclusions? I'll tell you. You being in relationship with God but not in community with others. Which brings me to side note number four. You need both a relationship with God and to be in community with others. All right? We're, we're really good at either or. We're really bad at, at both and. And so the devil, he's flipping through scripture. Are you following this? And he's pulling something out of the life of David and he's presenting it to Jesus. He takes it out of context. It's an imitation word. It's being presented to Jesus, who's the living word. And Jesus says, don't test me. You shall not test the Lord your God. Listen, it's not enough that you just have context. We can know the background of a scripture, but scripture is not meant just to be known. It's meant to be lived. And we live scripture out in the context of community. That's why God created the church, so that we can, we can test the word of God in the context of relationships. 
Are you hearing me today? You know why everyone's a really good singer in the shower? Does anybody, everybody know? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's nobody else in there. No one else is in there. If all you ever hear is your voice, everything sounds good. All of your ideas sound good. All, all, all of, all, everything, everything you believe sounds good. And listen, that is a dangerous place to be. There are some things that you think that you shouldn't believe. There are some things that you believe that you need to take captive, actually. That you need to, to, to take captive every vain imagination, every destructive thought. And one of the ways that you can do it is by running your thoughts by people. A context of community. It's so important for you to connect in relationship. And so at Elevate, we say it like this. We're together, together. We're in person and on purpose. So Connect Sunday is coming up February 26th. It's where we're going to launch all of the e-groups that are happening at Elevate Ministries. And so this side note is simply a plug to get you to join in community. Actually, there's something else in this temptation that I really want you to see. Okay, that was just a side note. I think there's a temptation that we have to be careful of, especially in a church like ours. And I think we see it right here. Because Satan takes Jesus 200 feet up. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. It's like, it's like me climbing up to the roof of the church and telling all of you to go outside to see what's about to transpire. Because Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, Jesus, what you should do right now is you should throw yourself off the roof. And when you do, heaven will open up. Angels will explode from heaven and swoop down and they'll save you. It'll be a remarkable spectacle of an artificially created crisis. Are you grabbing this? How cool would it be, Jesus? How, um, how amazing would it be to see this tremendous manifestation of power and deliverance? Think about the people that would come far and wide to see this amazing, miraculous display. Imagine the thrill that it would cause the community to see you rescued like that. And so what is Satan doing? He's tempting Jesus to force a supernatural event. I think this is important for us to see because a disciplined life doesn't need constant, extraordinary demonstrations. I'll just tell you, in our Christian life, we're going to see all kinds of crazy things. I, I've been saved since a little boy. I've seen some amazing things right in front of my eyes. I've seen transformative miracles. I've seen people be filled with the Spirit. I, I've, seen, I've seen all kinds of restoration happen. I've seen demonic, demonic activity cast out of people's lives. I've, I've seen it with my, my own eyes. Amazing things. I've seen it. And I think we shouldn't be surprised by that because God promised that signs and wonders will follow them that believe. So there's an element inside of us that should expect God to do some pretty amazing things. But if you have a constant need for that, if you need that constant demonstration to validate who you are spiritually, that's a dangerous place to be. I want you to think about this. Jesus has just had one of those moments. He just got baptized where the, the, the windows of heaven opened up. God spoke with an audible voice. This is my son. I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit leaves heaven, comes down to earth in front of everybody, and lands on Jesus. That is an extraordinary, miraculous event. It just happened a few days ago. I mean, this, is, this, is, this was the last major thing that happened in Jesus' life. And now days later, Satan is telling Jesus that he needs another sign. That he's got to validate who he is again. That there needs to be another demonstration in order to validate his purpose on the earth. And I believe that this same mentality, this same constant craving for spiritual demonstration, this same constant craving for the experience is something that's sneaking into the church. It has snuck in the church where you've got all of these popular Christians on YouTube doing all these miraculous things, all the moving the cameras and got all this stuff happening and people are infatuated and wondering why in the world is that happening at my church? Where people come and they think, well, if I'm not constantly entertained, 
If the worship team doesn't sing my favorite song at the right volume, the way I like it, where the goosebumps fill my body, well, then something must be wrong with our church. Well, if the pastor can't take me to a level 20, then maybe this whole Christianity thing is not for me. Maybe there's something wrong with the church, or maybe this isn't real. I need a sign to let me know you're here. bunch of religious people went to Jesus in Matthew 16 and they wanted a sign they wanted Jesus to pull out some magic and do some tricks and in Matthew 16 Jesus says a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign and then Jesus went on to describe all of the miraculous things that happen every day that most people never notice he begins to describe things like the the sunset and the sky and the provision. These are all visible expressions of God's love that we can see all around us. They're visible expressions of the power and miracle, the unmistakable presence of God. Most people never even pay attention. Most people don't even notice because they're just commonplace. They happen all the time. I want a sign. Let me see something crazy. But I want to tell you something. You can see the hand of God all around but most people don't even pay attention to it. Don't even notice it. Instead looking for some extraordinary demonstration. And I I told you, there's many of us that have had some of these type of amazing, powerful moments in the church. We've got stories, my wife's got all kinds of stories of things that she's seen in in the Philippines when she was living overseas. I've seen some amazing miracles. I've seen some unbelievable deliverances and encounters. I remember one time we were in our first building, storefront building, just a group, small group of us were lifting our hands and worshiping the Lord. Just, I mean, it was just, an, it was, it was one, of those, one of those days where you could feel the presence of God. You knew it was there, it was super thick in the room. We're all worshiping God, little hands lifted and come bursting through the doors is the fire department. They're all geared up with a hose, ready to shoot water on us all because they saw fire in our building. True story. I know some of you were there to experience that. Just in a, tr- a tremendous, tremendous story. I've seen that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you something. If we reduce spiritual things to those type of demonstrations, what we're doing is we're craving an experience that only serves our need to be amused. And so our relationship with God is nothing more than just something that is an entertainment value. And then we neglect to honor and value the common things that God does in our lives. We're always looking for the pastor to send us to a different level. We're always hoping that it can be more emotional, more exciting, where there's this obvious touch. Well, I saw over there the spirit was really moving on Instagram at that church. Why isn't that happening at mine? I'll tell you why. Because the thrill of the new doesn't exist for the long haul. Faith is long obedience in the same direction. And so you have to decide. You have to make a choice. Will I discipline my spirit to the point where I can honor the common? Where I can honor the ordinary because because God's moving in that. Because following Christ and being a disciple isn't level 20 every week. There are times when it's not as exciting. Christianity isn't jumping on the miracle wagon every single day. That's not what it is, where you're having a Holy Ghost high on the daily. That is not reality. There's going to be days where, oh my God, this is amazing. But there's also going to be a lot of days where you're going to have to, when you're going to have to discipline yourself. And you're going to have to say, man, I don't feel like it. I'm not feeling it. It's not that great. It's not that awesome. I'm a little upset, but I'm going to make a decision to worship Jesus anyways. I'm going to honor the common day in. Day out, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You'll never be able to recreate your honeymoon. Why? Because that's a moment in time. When you make a decision to be a disciple, a disciple is a disciplined person. Not every day feels like a honeymoon. But a disciplined person stays married. Are you with me today? Every day I make a decision as a disciple, I'm going to draw close to him. And his truth and his revelation, they take a deeper hold in the common days, in the hard days, where deep calls to deep, where real calls to real, where God is doing a deep thing in your heart. 
And here's the truth, and we need to understand this. God doesn't need to do anything else spectacular for me. He's done enough. He saved me. The miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle, and my life has been changed by the power of God. He doesn't have to do anything more significant or more spectacular than he's already done. He's already done enough. If he never does another thing, I'm grateful. I'll live for him. I'll serve him in the common. Last one. Last one. Again, the devil took him on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'm gonna give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, get away from me, Satan. For it is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This particular temptation, I think all of us know fairly well. I, I know this temptation well because we are battling against the spirit of this age. And the spirit of this age is just trying to get us to go along with the rest of the world. Just do what everyone else is doing. Just submit to their values. Just play their games. And then Satan says, if you just do what, if you just submit and just do what the world does, then you'll get this stuff. You'll acquire these things. You'll earn these things. But I'm here to say that my allegiance and my worship is to Jesus, it belongs to Jesus and him alone. And what I want you to notice is the craziness of this temptation. Because the devil, listen to this, you gotta focus. The devil is telling the king of kings, the one who the kingdoms of this world are being transferred to the kingdoms of our God, the devil is trying to tempt the king of kings to bow down and worship him in order for Jesus to inherit something that he already has. I don't know if you heard that. Basically, it's this. The devil promises through disobedience what I already have through obedience. Did you hear that? Satan's always going to try to hang things in front of you that somehow he tells you... if. If you'll, if you'll just submit, you can earn this. You can experience this. You can have this. It's such a stupid trick. It's such a stupid, why would Jesus try to earn through disobedience something he already has through obedience? Are you tracking with me? Because we know that Jesus' whole purpose on this earth was to win the kingdoms of this world back to God. He was here to win the kingdoms of this world from Satan's domain. He was there to win them back to the kingdom of God. So why would Jesus try to subvert that and try to earn through disobedience what already belongs to him? It's promised to him. It's preordained. Why would he, why would he jump ship? But I think sometimes this is a temptation we fall prey to all the time. And the reason is, is because we begin to think and we begin to worry that maybe God doesn't have good things for us in our future. We begin to, in our minds, we begin to reconcile this by saying, well, I, I can't trust God for a relationship, so I guess I'll have to settle for whatever I can get. Or we begin to think, well, I can't trust God for a good job. I can't trust God for more finances, so I'll just accept something far beneath what God has for me. I can't trust God for the good things in my future. So instead of remaining in a place of worship, instead of remaining in obedience to God, I'll enter into a place of disobedience and try to gain through disobedience what's been promised to me if I'll obey. Because the truth is, I already have a secure future. The truth is, I already am living in the plan of God and in the promise of God. The truth is, is God's got resources and open doors for me to go through. And so if I'll just stay in obedience to God, if I'll just remain in a place of, of worship, in allegiance to Christ, then the promises that are in God's word, the Bible says are yes and amen. That they belong to me. Are you with me today? Don't trade your worship. Don't trade your worship don't trade your allegiance to Jesus for anything that Satan offers. Let me tell you why. Because it's just an imitation. It's just a second-rate version of what you already have in Christ. 
Jesus is our end goal. We pursue nothing less than Jesus. Jesus is what we're after. He's front and center. And all of the promises that are associated with following the promise are yes and amen through Christ. Somebody shout amen. You see, I, I want to just share this text with you and these temptations with you. And the reason is, is because I was talking to Carrie about this this week. We were talking about this text. And it's interesting because when you think about it, Jesus found this particular story to be so important to us that he communicated, communicated this story to his disciples so that they would record it for us. Because the truth is no one was there to see it. Jesus was all alone. No one, no one was there taking notes following Jesus around, listening to the devil, listening to Jesus' response. No, no. The only person that had to go through this was Jesus. And so Jesus knew how important this would be for us. So he told this story to his disciples so that they would share it with us. And so the question is why? I'll tell you why. Jesus knew the temptations that he faced will be the temptations that we face. That's why you struggle with your identity. Because Satan comes and he tries to tell you who you were, what you've done. He tries to place shame on your life because of things that maybe happened in your past. But I wanna tell you, that's an old form. You've been created new. If you've given your life to Christ, the Bible says old things are passed away, all things become new. You're not who you were. You are brand new in Christ. Are you, are you seeing that today? Jesus told the story of the temptations because he knew that although I'd love to see a demonstration of power all the time, I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say I want to see the power of God evident everywhere I go all the time. I wouldn't want to see these extraordinary signs and demonstrations. I'd be lying to you if I didn't want to see it. But what Jesus is showing us is that we don't have to have it. That if we'll, just, if we'll just look, we'll see the miraculous in the commonplace. That we'll see God do amazing things in the ordinary seasons of our life. The proof is not in a demonstration of power. The proof is in what Jesus has already done. And if he does nothing else, he's already done enough. You can find God in every single day. You can find God 24-7, 365. So I choose to worship him. I won't chase what the world promises. I'll chase, what, I'll chase what God said. And the third one is, why would I chase an illusion of what's already mine through obedience? The challenge is we gotta, we gotta obey. See, the world will try to promise all of these things. Well, if you'll just do this, if you'll just conform, if you'll just, if you'll just do what, just follow in, fall in line, then you can have this and you'll gain this. And God's saying, wait a second, that's not how it works. It already belongs to you. What you're searching for and what you're hoping to get, it belongs to you because you're a child of God. Those promises are yours already. Don't, don't jump ship. Stay focused, stay committed, and everything that God promises you, you can have. I love how the story ends, and we see it in verse 5 of the text. It says this, then the devil left him. And then angels came and ministered to him. <laughs> I love this little, this little line. Because what this says, the devil left him. What that means is Jesus won. That's what it means. He won. And as I read that, I recognize that because Jesus won, we win. Because Jesus won, because he defeated we can defeat, we can overcome. There's no temptation that, you, that, that, that can take you down with Christ. There's nothing that can overtake you. There's no power that can stand against you when you have Jesus at the center of your life. I'm just challenging you, it's your identity. It's who you've always been. It's who God created you to be. The Spirit of God is inside of you. That's who you are. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. All of this, this church this morning, just for a moment of ministry, maybe you're here today.
Maybe you're here today all over this room and you're wondering who, you're looking around, you're seeing so much amazing things happening today, people getting baptized and so much joy and people worshiping God and you're like, man, I, I, I didn't realize church could be like this. You were created for a relationship with God. And what God wants more than anything is a relationship with you. And the reason he went to the cross, the reason he came to this earth and went through the things he did and suffered as he did, the reason he did that is because he loves you so much. And he wants to rescue you from that old form. He wants to give you a brand new life. He wants to wash away your sin. He wants to make you brand new. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be renewed, like what you were talking about. I want to be transformed from death to life. I want to move from shame to grace. I'm here today, Jesus came to save you and he wants to touch you today. If, you, if you'd say, you know what, I want, I want a new identity. I want to find my identity in Christ. I want to give my life to Christ. If that's, your, if that's you, I'd love you just to raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you today. Is there anyone like that? The Bible says that if we confess Jesus, we'll be born again. God wants to save you today. He wants to take you from death to life, old things new. Maybe you're in this room. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus all over this room, front to back, side to side, anyone at all. Maybe you just raise your hand today. God wants to touch you. He wants to touch you all over this room, anyone at all, anyone at all. Amen. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk to you as believers today, as believers in this room. Listen, the, there's so much that we go through. I know there's some people going through some difficult times even today. But I, I think we can learn from this story that God uses the wilderness to do some of his best work. Yet it's in the wilderness where we face those deep testing, where we question our identity. You know what I mean? It's where we, it's where we question and we, we want to see power. We're, we're, we, want, we, want, we, want to, we want to see God do some amazing things. We, we, we start to wonder if God has good things in our future. It's, this is where the testing happens. It's in those moments. But I want to help some of you. I want to challenge some of you that if you're in that time of testing right now, stay the course. Remind the devil who you are. Stay in God's word. God's word tells you who you are in Christ. I'm challenging you. In, in the time of wilderness testing, you're at a vulnerable place. But if you'll pass the test in the wilderness, the Bible says that Jesus left the wilderness with the power of the Spirit. God's putting something inside of you in a, hard, in a hard time, in a hard circumstance that's gonna get you to the next place he has for you. He's preparing you, he's preparing you. How many are looking forward to what God has next for you, for your family, for your situation? How many are looking forward to that? Maybe just stand all over, your, all over this place. God, we thank you, God, for the times of seasons in, in our life. Lord, we recognize some of the difficult things, some of the hard things that we face and struggle with. Lord, those are the, those are the areas where you're doing your deepest work. It's the things that seem the least spiritual where something really spiritual is going on. And I would just pray right in this room over the believers that fill this place. I pray today that they would have an indwelling of your spirit. Lord, that your spirit would empower them even in the difficult seasons, even in the tough circumstances. Lord, even when we're sick and broke and, don't, and, and alone, we know that you're there. God, we may not hear it. We may not see it. We may, we may question it. Lord, but I pray right now you'd settle inside of us our identity, that we're a child of God, that we've been set free, we've been healed, we've been delivered, we've been restored. God, we thank you today. Would you just thank God for who you are? Would you just thank the Lord that I'm a child of God, that God loves me, that God, God cares for me? Oh, thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that I, I don't have to always see a, a demonstration because I know what you've already done in my heart. I know you've already saved me. I know you've already healed me. Would you just thank the Lord for what's already happened in your life. We thank you for the miracles that you've done. We thank you for the miracles that you've already, already accomplished in our lives, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. We won't chase what the world offers. What we, when we, we, we know we already have inherited through obedience. We won't chase through disobedience what's already ours through obedience. We thank you, thank you for the promises that are yes and amen through Christ. Are you grateful for that? Do you believe by faith that God can give it to you? Come on, let's sing to the Lord. Let's worship Him as we close. Oh, come on. Watching my heart grow weary. Come on, sing it out to the Lord. Watching my heart grow weary. 
Sally. Everybody loves Sally here. She's been fighting. She's been in the hospital for the last month or so. And uh, Carrie's, Carrie's gone to visit her. I've gone to visit her, pray with her, love on her. I know some of, several of you have, have gone to, to, to be with her. And this morning we got a call that, that she wasn't doing well. She wasn't doing well. And uh, just now you probably saw Carrie get up in the middle of the service. I kind of knew what, what happened because that doesn't happen very often. But right there at the end of our service today, Sally went home to be with the Lord. And I just was thinking about that as we were singing, and I know Sally. I know how much she loves you and this church. She tells everybody, every visitor that comes, she talks about, I love this church. I just have a feeling that on her way to her eternal home, I have a feeling she just stopped by real quick, you know what I mean? Just to peer in on us and make sure we're doing good. And uh, maybe sing one last time with Bryn. And uh, I, I, I know that so many of us, we love, we love Sally so much. But can we pray for Val Jean and for Bridget? Can we do that right now? God, we thank you. We thank you for Sally's life, Lord, what she meant to this congregation. Uh, we love her so much. Lord, we thank you today that we're, we will see her again. We'll, we'll be able to worship with her again right in the front. God, I know today she's happy and whole. Her body is new. I know right now she's in heaven and excited and she's hearing some loud worship, louder than she's ever heard before. And I thank you for her life. And I pray for Bridget, I pray for Sally right now, tremendous loss, the grief surrounding death. God, it's, it, it, we thank thankful that it only lasts for a moment, Lord, but eternity lasts forever. And we, we pray for Bridget and Sally as they, as they struggle and as they feel the grief of a loved one passing, as we feel the grief. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would bring comfort even now, right now, supernatural comfort to Sally, I mean to Bridget and to Valjean, the family. Thank you for that. God, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, that our eternal home is with you, that we can be confident, Lord, that our life, our eternal life is secure. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for being here this morning. We love you guys so much. Hang out in fellowship. Love on one another. Congratulate those that got baptized if you can. God bless you guys. Great week.